Good morning. Y'all good? Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Uh, I've got um, I've got proof that I have notes here, but if I don't get to them, it'll be all right, won't it? This week I was motivated by what I believe God's doing, first of all, in my life, and then I think in your life and in the church's life and what he wants to do uh, in our lives this year. Um, can, you, can you sense that there's something special in the air in 2016? Negatively and positively, right? Positive for the church. Negative for, for, for those who will not pursue God. I mean, that's... You can almost sense, um, you know, these these two forces that are banging at each other. And um, one of the things the Lord wants us to do is make sure that we are full of His goodness. And, um, you know, as I grow in the Lord and as, as I get older, I realize, and I've always said this, but it just becomes more and more real the older I get, is that the closer we get to God, the more we realize we're not like him. Is that true? The closer you get to God as a believer, the more mature you become, the further away you see that you are from the likeness of God. And, uh, and this year, I think, because it's the year of Jubilee and because there's such, a, there's such a need for the power and the presence of God in our nation and in our churches and all that kind of thing, that he, his desire is to pour out. His desire is to pour out on you so that you, no matter what you're going through, would be encouraged. So no matter what you're going to, that you can have hope that God is on your side, right? And so to do that, I just got to thinking about the hindrances that I have, and they all hinge on a couple of things. But one of the major things is, is, is my view of God, my understanding of who God is, is always vital to my walk with God, who He is, and then who I am in Him, and then how far off of God am I really serving? Is God up close and personal? Does He really care about me? Does He want to really get into my stuff? Or is He a far off God watching me from a distance? All those kind of things really make a difference. And so when I think about that, I start thinking about the things that hinder me from receiving everything God has for me. Now, if you could tell your husband or your wife or your family members or your friends, if you could tell them, would you tell them that this year in 2016, I want to encounter God like I've never encountered him before in my life. Would you say that? about yourself, I really want to experience the presence of God like I've never experienced it before. Do you think that's available to you? That is available to us, is it not? How many of you would say about yourself is I'm probably the biggest hindrance I have toward receiving everything God wants to give me that there is out there? Would you say, would you agree with me on that? And that's where I'm at. You know, I, I really believe that God wants to anoint this generation in the church 
to bring the kingdom to earth like no other generation that he's ever anointed. And I want to participate. And I want to discover about myself how to do that. And so to do that, we really got to understand a tendency. And that tendency is found first in Exodus 32 and 31. And you can turn with me if you want to. Or, and it's also, I'm going to also go to Deuteronomy 31.8. And I'm also going to go to 1 Samuel 8.19. And none of this has anything to do with the sermon. You know, it has everything to do with setting it up because there's a tendency for human beings. Listen, we're not here to do church. We're here to worship and invite the presence of God into our midst so that we can be transformed and changed. Otherwise, let's go play golf. And so what we want to do is figure out how that we can get better at getting God and, and allow his presence to come in our life. And there's a hindrance that's common through Scripture all the way to Exodus, and, and this is it. You see God say to the people, uh, the church, Israel, as they're, as they're exiting out of captivity and bondage to Egypt, and they have the deliverer. His name is Moses, and his name means deliverer and salvation, and Joshua means salvation, and he takes them into the promised land. And in the midst of all this, and the parting of the Red Sea, and the provision of God, where you see God by fire, and he, 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 he buy, does their battle for them, and he, he holds off the Egyptians, and they see all this stuff. In the midst of that, they cross over the Red Sea, and they get into this place where Moses goes to the mountain, and he gets up on the mountain, and they see rumblings and lightnings, and they, they're so fearful that they don't even want to go up there. They just want the preacher to go. For some reason, there's this, there's this mindset in the church that the preacher is supposed to be closer to God than the rest of us. And that's just not true. He didn't open the Holy of Holies so you can come in to the presence of God so that just the preacher could go in because you didn't want to go in, because you didn't want to experience everything God had for you. He opened the Holy of Holies so that we could go in as individuals. And there's been a tendency from the very beginning to say, Preacher, you go. Get God and you come tell us what God says. And that's not the relationship that God has. And what they did was they see all this light and they see all this thundering and, and God's word to them in Deuteronomy is that he says, I'll always be with you. I want to go before you. I want to be the God who, who does your battles, who fights your battles. He says, fear not. I'll, I'll never leave you or forsake you. See, you thought that was a New Testament. Deuteronomy. Chapter 32, I'll never leave you or forsake you, God says. And the people said this. Moses has been up there for so long, and I've seen lightning and thunder, and surely he's, he's, a, he's done. He's smoked. He's been smited. And in Exodus 32.1, just go ahead and turn with me to Exodus 32.1. People saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, and the people gathered together uh, to Aaron and said to him, (laughs) 
come, make us gods, little g. That shall do what? That shall go before us. For, for as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what became of him. Let's make, let's make our own gods to go before us. There's a tendency to, to, to buy into different philosophies or different ways of thinking, believing that there are alternative ways to do life successfully outside making Jesus Christ the king of your heart. There's not an alternative way. Narrow is the gate. Wide is the gate to destruction. There's many pathways. They just lead to destruction. There's only one way. There's not multiple ways. In Samuel, you see the same issue. God has established judges, people to govern the church. You know, if there's a dispute, if there's a decision that needs to be made, what, what in the kingdom of heaven... What's being done, and we've got this little incident, so how can we bring the kingdom of God to earth? And there's judges that have been established to make sure that that is carried out in the church. And they're doing their business, and they're, and they're serving and worshiping the king, and they're bringing the people before the king to worship him, and, and every eye and every person is focused on the king of Israel, who is God, the Father, and they say, we're tired of doing it this way. Can we have a king like everybody else? Can we have a substitute way of doing things? And there's always a tendency because sometimes God's way is difficult. We have to wait on Him. We have to we have to be patient with him we, and, and, and depend on him and humble ourselves before him and not be in control that when he doesn't respond the way we want him to, as quick as we want him to, we begin to think of alternative ways that we can somehow bring the kingdom into our life and into our circumstances. And it's happened all through Scripture. And so what I wanted to talk to us about is how, as a collective body of believers, and how you personally, and then from there, how we can go out into the community and really begin to make a difference with the kingdom of heaven. And so, as I begin to think about the tendency to replace God's way of doing things with man's way of doing things, how do I get that out of my life? Well, the first place is I've got to understand what and what the kingdom of God is and where the kingdom of God is. There's a lot of questions about how that works. And so if I can just get a, a glimpse of that, that'll help me. So let me show you this progression. You see the tendency of God, and then you see the provision of God bought by Jesus Christ. I know this is deep and long. This is all just introduction. Because it's just it's so important that you get a hold of what causes you to be stuck. 
But what happens is John comes on the scene who is the forerunner of Christ. And he says this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Change what you're doing. Change your dependency things. Change how you're making decisions. Change on the things that you're putting value in. And, and begin to line up with the kingdom of heaven. Line up with the kingdom. Because it's near. John chapter 3. John chapter 4, Jesus comes on the scene. And John points to Jesus and says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The kingdom of God is coming through him. And it's going to manifest itself to a generation of, of church people like it never has been able to manifest before. And so from that moment on, after Jesus has this encounter with Satan in the desert, he comes back preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in Luke chapter 17, he says, the kingdom of heaven is in you. And if you'll study that out, there's many a theologians who hate that whole passage of Scripture because somehow they're fearful that you're going to think you're a god. And that's not what Jesus means at all. It means that this kingdom of heaven, you have the power within you, there's grace in you that allows you to bring the kingdom not only into your own life, but into the lives of those that you come in contact with. That the kingdom of heaven is in you, and there will be rivers of water that will flow from you that will be able to do things that only the kingdom of heaven can do. So how in the world do I line up and make sure that I experience the fullness of the kingdom of God in my life as well as the life of those that I come in contact with. That's the answer to the question. That, how are we going to see the glory of the Lord in a way that we've never seen it before? Well, you have to line up with the kingdom. And so we have to understand what a kingdom is. And so I just want to define... What and, and where the kingdom of God is. In Luke 17, 21, it says the kingdom of God is within you. So we know that's where it is. But what is a kingdom? A kingdom is a place where a king rules. Say that. A kingdom is a place where a king rules. The kingdom of God is wherever God reigns over the lives of his subjects. The kingdom of God is wherever God reigns over the lives of his subjects. That he rules, that he reigns. The kingdom of God is not visible, it's invisible. It's a spiritual kingdom and it is within us. Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. You know, the disciples asked the Lord how to pray and and, 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 we, and we take that to a level that I don't think it was meant. What, what Jesus was trying to explain to us is when you pray, line up with the kingdom of heaven. He says to you and me, your kingdom, God, reign in my heart. Your kingdom, God, reign in me. Your kingdom, God, reign in my finances. Your kingdom, God, come to earth like it is in heaven. Let me and my house line up with the way you do things, the way you think, and what your will is. Because I want your kingdom to reign in my life. So a king and a kingdom are 
are all about whether he's actually ruling and reigning in your life. Well, how do you know that he is? Well, you start lining up your life with what goes on in heaven. So we prayed in the first service. We prayed, Lord, I pray. I'm going to go ahead and knock you with it right off the bat. Lord, I pray that I don't watch anything on television that wouldn't play in heaven. Lord, I pray right now that your kingdom reign in my attitude, that I don't have an attitude towards somebody else that I wouldn't have if I was in heaven. I think there's going to be a place where we're going to be faced with the people that we don't like and we have something against the first time we walk into the kingdom of God. When we come into heaven we walk in glory, we're going to be faced with everybody that ticked you off on earth and calls the name of Jesus. And you're going to have to be right with them because there's unity in heaven. There's no hate. There's no division. There's love and unity. And you're going to face everybody who names the name of Jesus who wronged you. And lining up with the kingdom means you take care of that business here on earth before you get to heaven. When you get to heaven, you don't have none of that. Because you already took care of it while you were here. That's the kingdom reigning. You want to see the glory of God? Let the king reign. Your will be done in my life on this earth like it's done there. Jesus taught us that. Let the king reign. Let him rule. In the kingdom of God, everything is subject to God's power instantly with no question. Listen, in the kingdom of God, everything is subject to God's power instantly with no question. In the visible world, there is resistance to the will of God. The kingdom of God is eternal. At the present time, it is an invisible kingdom here in our midst. Wherever there are those who honor Jesus Christ the King, and wherever the spirit of the king is, the kingdom of heaven is there and has potential to be there. You remember when, when Paul's writing to the Philippians and he's in prison and he's all that kind of stuff. Or, and, and then in another place where he's got an eye issue, he's, he needs healing. And, and he, he calls on the name of the Lord and, the Lord and he says, take this thing from me, God. He cries out to God and says, take this thing from me. Y'all know where I'm talking about? Help this thorn in my flesh. You know, this thing is it's wearing me out. It's like a splinter underneath my fingernail, and I can't get that thing out. He said, it's just wearing me out. Take this thing from me. What does God say? He says to Paul, my grace is sufficient. My power working in that circumstance is able to bring you to a place that you are unable to come on your own. My grace is sufficient for you. My power working in your circumstance can do something. If my kingdom comes, it can move you from wherever you're at. That's allowing the kingdom to come in the midst of even tough times. It can come. His grace does come. It's sufficient. And wherever the spirit of the, of the king is, the kingdom of God's there. And so if I start thinking about the hindrances I have about Staying there. Now, one of the things that, as a, as a pastor and as a believer, you know, I, I want to lead you, and I want to lead you well. I mean, I live for leading you well. And sometimes I just don't do the best job because there are things about who I am as a person 
things about my leadership things that, that I know don't look like heaven sometimes, you know, and y'all don't have to agree with that. But it's the truth. We all are there, and, and, I'll, and, and you, and you want to begin to submit those things to God and be changed by them. And so if, if you're sitting in this place and you're stuck in a place, you're stuck in, and, and, you're, and you're leaning on human wisdom, you, you're leaning on the wrong thing because the only thing that can really help you, I mean, I tell you what, I know this thing right here. I, I want to know it better, but I know it pretty good. The hard part is to actually be, be, do it, to be it, to become it. And we're all becoming. But how you become it is you begin to recognize places in you and your leadership skill in your life and your personality that just don't look much like heaven. And you begin to come to God in that. And one of the biggest places that we have to understand we need to come to God is understanding the greatest virtue in heaven is humility. If the greatest sin is pride, which it is, the greatest virtue in heaven is humility. And humility says this, I can never become anything close to what you want me to become, God, unless, unless you do something with me. Unless you begin to mold me and shape me and help me become what I become. And the only way you can do that, God, if I'll recognize that the only way that that can happen is if you touch me somehow. And so I humbly come before you knowing that in and of myself, I can't do it all. Now, once you give me instruction, God, I have to begin to carry that out. But not in my own might. It's not by my power. It's by, it's by your spirit, says the Lord. It says, as you guide me, your grace is sufficient to carry me from one place to another. But, it, but humility says, I can't do this on my own. Humility says, I'm insufficient. I have a need for a Savior. In Matthew 18, God tells us to be like a child, to have childlike faith, to come to him like a kid. I mean, I love our children, especially certain ages. And you can see, you can almost tell how old kids are just by some of the cute things they say. But they really want you to watch them. Watch me do this, Daddy. And some of the goofiest things they want you to watch. You know what? <laughs> I'm 55. If my daddy was still alive, Bob, I'd, when something good happened to me, I'd call my daddy. I'd say, Daddy, guess what? This happened. <laughs> we never get to a place where we don't need affirmation from God and that we don't need that we don't need him to help us continue to grow on the pathway that he wants us to go and so it's humility that brings us to that place let me give you some scriptures about humility and what the scripture says about it humility is the beginning of wisdom Proverbs says, you want to be wise, humble yourself before God. James chapter 4 verse 6 says this, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
Jesus said this in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You think humility might be a key? So if humility is the key, what's the opposite of humility? If humility is the greatest virtue in heaven and pride is the greatest sin, what keeps the kingdom from coming? God resists the... But his power that works in circumstances that does greater things than you could ever do on your own, that comes to the... And humility is someone who comes to the Father and says, Father, I can't do this. I need you to move. He says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. If you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. He says about Zerubbabel, shout great grace to it and I'll make that mountain like a plane. What is that? That's humbly coming before God and said, you got to move this, God, because I can't. I can't do it unless you bring the kingdom in me. God wants you to be like him. And the only way you can become like him is if you'll humble yourself and let him show you who he is. And then you can begin to duplicate those things. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a minute. But pride would be the number one reason while the kingdom of heaven in your life, and pride comes in so many different ways. Pride comes by saying, I got this, God. Now, here's where I think pride sneaks in more than anywhere else. Did you hear it? Did you get it? I did it again. I didn't do nothing. Just sit here. Humility says, God, I can't. I can't I can't do it. Lord, I need you. Lord, I gotta have you. Pride says, either I don't believe you can, I don't believe you care, or I'm not even gonna ask. I'm not gonna waste my time. Or I don't think you can. Or don't think you love me enough. All those things are based on pride. And you can say whatever you want about your resistance of God. But pride keeps you from coming to him. Period. It always keeps me from coming to him. Let me tell you something. God, I hate, I, hate, I hate to be so transparent in front of you guys. But I have to to get you guys to move with me. My biggest fear is not be able to continue to perform at a level that I think God's going to require if I get everything he wants. If I become everything he wants me to become, can I maintain that? Or am I just going to revert back to the same old, same old that I've always been? And so, therefore, I resist 
because I'm scared that if I become like God wants me to become, that everybody's going to think I'm weird, and then, and then when they think I'm weird, I'm going to be more fearful of man than I am of God, and, and all these things start running around in your mind, and, and, and it, help, it, it keeps us from, from actually becoming who God wants us to become. So pride does that. Listen. One of the things that the Lord's calling me to is to make sure if the spirit, if the kingdom of heaven is within me and there's rivers of water, this uh, living water that's going to flow from me, which is the kingdom of God, onto everywhere I go. And I have authority on everywhere I go to bring the kingdom. And I'm going to talk to you about that in just a second. got to hurry up. I ain't even gotten to my points yet. I'm going to have to run through them. I was in a restaurant the other day. I was eating with JP. Everybody, anybody know who JP is? JP is, JP is um, really working on his uh, his weight this year. So be praying for JP. And he was eating salad. And that's a funny thing to watch. JP eating salad. It's a great thing to watch, but it is funny for us big old rascals, isn't it? Can I have salad? Give me a salad. <laughs> But we're in the Mexican restaurant, you know. And this guy's waiting on us. And there's a little bit of a language barrier, but not, you know, not terrible. But, you know, you, when you've got that kind of language barrier, oftentimes there seems to be a, a physical barrier as well, you know. Um, of course, with all the thing in the media and the politics, you know all that. And it's just a bunch of mess. And so this guy waits on us, and he waits on us. And, and at the end... Uh, not, not at the very end, but close to the end, I just said, can I, can I, can I pray for you for anything? I said, that's hard. Pride would keep me from doing that. Pride and fear keeps you from doing that. And he said, sure. And he said, uh, well, my girlfriend's in New York. Can you safe travel for her would be good. How surface is that? Right? But you know what he said? He said, Sure. <laughs> That was his mistake. <laughs> so I said, let's pray. He wasn't expecting that either. And so he's standing by the table, and, he, and, and he's, he probably, I would imagine, from a Catholic background, just based on his posture because he, he cuffed his hands. I don't know if he did the cross thing, but you, you could tell by his posture. So this is why I prayed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for safe travel for Mario's girlfriend from New York. We thank you for that. But Lord, <laughs> I pray that the revelation of God would come upon him to such a degree that he would be overwhelmed. That he would understand about you that he can do nothing anywhere close to what he can accomplish in this life without you than he can with you. And that you have a plan for him that is glorious and full of success and victory. And the only way he can get it is surrender and submit his life to you. And I pray, God, that you would overwhelm him in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> He leaves. He's got, there's about there's about 
10 construction workers sitting at the table right beside us. And they're all Mexican brothers. And this brother's trying to stay composed. And he goes on back and does a few things. And he comes back and this is what he said. He said, I just want to say thank you. He said, <laughs> he said, you don't know how long it's been since I've been there. Been where? Here's truth. When two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Father, in the name of Jesus, there's two. It's been a long time since he was in the presence of the Lord. You have to swallow your pride. You have to be humble. And let me get to two things real quick that I want to talk to you about, about ushering in the kingdom. Other than pride, other than humility, we know humility is the greatest virtue and pride is the biggest sin. But if we're going to bring into the kingdom, we've got to understand two laws that I want to go through real quickly. And I'm not going to even look at my notes, but you need to understand them. The first law is the law of use. It's in, found in Matthew chapter 25. It's, a, it's the parable of the guy who gives ten talents, five talents, and one talent. Do you know the story? I think those are the numbers. In other words, he gives, let's say, $100 to one person, $50 to one person, and ten to the other. And he says, now I want you to get busy with what I've given you, and then we're going we're gonna to let some time go by, and then we're coming back, and we want to see, we're going to do an accounting procedure to see how you've done. And it's called the, the law of use. And so when he comes back, he sees that the one that he gave ten, $100 to had $200. The guy he gave $50 to he had $100. I'm just using these as an example. And, he, and the one he gave 10 had 10 One invested, the other invested, the other one buried it. And this is what Jesus said about the kingdom. If you want the kingdom of God... You've got to use what he gives you. And this is what he said. He said, the one I gave $100 to, he, he, he got $200. i am going to give him more. The one who gave, I gave $52 to, got $100, I'm going to give him more. But the one I gave $10 to, that gave me back $10, i am going to take that $10, and I'm going to give it to the one who I gave $100 to. It's the law of use. So what you understand about the kingdom of God right now, you better use it. Because if you use it, he'll give you more. If you don't use what you got, he'll take that from you and give it to somebody who's going to use it. Nobody wants that to happen. I'm absolutely positive. So you better begin to understand the law of use in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, liken this to the kingdom. This is the way the kingdom works. There's another one. It's called the law of reciprocity. You reap what you sow. So many times you hear that, that you know, I don't have many friends or people are, are not nice to me or, or you know, you can say, you can say, you know, uh, uh, 
you may not be treated fairly or you may not get many gifts or I mean you can think of all kinds of different ways to think about how you might be in a situation where you don't feel like you're receiving much from people. But if you want friends, you have to be a friend. If you want people to serve you, you better serve people. It's not, we kind of sometimes mess it up because we say do unto others as we would have them do unto you. That's the King James Version. But it actually means this, do to others as you would have them do to you. And there's this principle of reciprocity. If you want to be treated kindly, treat people kindly. If you, if you don't want the river to be polluted, if you live on a river that comes to your house, then don't pollute the river for people who are below you. I mean, it just, it, it just it, it goes all the way through the kingdom. In other words, Jesus said the greatest is the, in the kingdom are those who serve. So if you want to be served, serve. If you want a friend, be a friend. If you want the kingdom, what do you have to do? So, the kingdom. You want more of the kingdom? So more of the kingdom. Well, what's the kingdom look like? It looked like that there's a cool, there's a king, and he's reigning in every area of your life. That you don't, you're financially, you're free. There's many of you that need to let Jesus be king in your finances. If you, if you want a good marriage, let Jesus be the king of your marriage. Rule and reign in your marriage. If you want good children, let Jesus be the king. Don't make decisions based on how you think your kids ought to be raised. Make decisions based on how Jesus wants you to raise your kids. It's a major difference. I can remember times when the Lord had said to me, you want me to treat you that way? Is, are you setting precedent on how you're treating Nathan? Is that the way you want me to treat you? You have to, everything you've got, you've got to begin to bring to the kingdom of heaven and make sure that it lines up with that so that it can reign and rule in your life. That's the word of the Lord for the year. The law of use. What you understand about the kingdom, you better use. So do you believe that Jesus is healer? Then you better use it. Do you believe that he is your support, that he is your source, your resource, your your provision? You better use it. Jesus answers the question in Exodus. I think it's a it's a great it's a great question. He reveals to us the kingdom of heaven. He reveals to us he says I am to Moses and he says who are you? He says I am. I'm the king of the kingdom. I'm the king of kings. I am the I am. I am what? In my kingdom, I'm the answer. He's the answer. 
You better use it. He's the supply of your every need. There's not a need that you have that he's not the supply for. You better use it. He's your healer. He's wisdom. He's sanctification. He's provision. He's salvation. What that means is he can rescue you. He's your rescuer. You better use it or you're going to lose it. What do you need rescued from? How do you get rescued? Humble yourself. Remove your pride. Count on God. Call out to him. Pray for him. Don't be silent. My wife reminded me of Samuel's mother this week as she went before the Lord Baron and she cried out to him and the, and the preacher thought she was drunk. And she said, I'm drunk. I'm just crying out to God because he's my source. He's my provision. I give my kids and everything they're going to become, I give that to him. And as soon as she said that, Jesus said to her, your barren place is filled with child. As soon as she humbled herself before God and gave that thing to him, he said, Watch my grace abound right there. Bam. He wants to do that in every arena of your life. There's not a place. There's nobody in here who's been stuck in the same place for the last six years, if you've been here that long, or three years, or two years, or one month, that you're going to be in that same place in December 2016. You better not be there. You better move. You better use what you understand about the kingdom so that he can double and triple and a hundredfold bring his kingdom and his glory into your life and into your situation as you go throughout the year. That's what he wants to do. You ready for that? Me too. Y'all still with me? That's good. That's encouraging. That's something to live for. And what you've got to do is believe it. Do you believe it? For you. What is it that you need to touch from God on? What is it in your life you need the glory of God to come on? You need to have a list. Let me just tell you something. <laughs> if you don't have a list, that's pride. Why? Because I guarantee you, God can give you a hundred things you need his help on. Thousands of things you need his help on. The question is, are you going to ask him for it? Ask and you will receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open. Speak it and it'll be removed. What is it? You really need, last week or the week before or whatever, we talked about expanding your tents, expanding the area that you need God to move and believe that he's going to do it. And you can't just sit there and be quiet and expect him to do it. That's pride. God resists the proud and gives power to the hungry, to the humble. So this is where I'm at. I'm a praying machine. I'm going to go to a level of prayer and requests of God this year that I've never seen before in my life. For my personal life, 
for my family, for my church family, and for those outside in Mexican restaurants that I can actually bring the kingdom of heaven into and wherever else I might be. And I'm going to come up here. Friday night I was laying at this altar right here with a prayer group praying that God would pour out on me and teach me and show me and change me to make me a lot more like him. Lord, I want to become what you want me to become this year. I quit resisting. I am open. I pursue. I'm humble. I don't want to be prideful. Lord, show me those places that you need to change me and watch the glory of the Lord come upon your pastor, this church, and every, everything that we touch. Don't you want that? I do too. There is no striving for your love. Now, this is what I want you to, this is what I want us to do, if you'll do it with me. You know that raising your hands is the international sign of surrender, right? That's one reason you ought to raise your hands, because it's a surrendered place to God. Amen? The second reason is because God told you to. He says, lift up all. Holy hands, all ye people, right? Are you part of the all part? Let me ask you a question. In the throne room of God, where it says it's incredibly loud with worship and praise, you think there might be a hand lifted? If you want the kingdom to come in your life, you got to start doing what's going on in heaven. And so let's lift our hands to the Lord. Father, I pray right now that this year be an incredible year. Say that with me. I pray right now that this year be an incredible year. Father, I release you. Let's do it louder than that. Father, I release you to be king. I surrender to your lordship I pray that your kingdom come in my life every arena nothing to hold back I hold nothing back reveal your truth about who you are and who I am you say to me God I am the God who goes before you. I'm your healer. I'm your redeemer. I'm your restorer. I'm your salvation. I'm your provision. I'm your wisdom. I'm your victory. I'm your salvation. That's who you are, God. Father, I pray that we not be waylaid by work business. I pray that we don't replace your kingdom for a culture's idealism. I pray that we don't allow America to be our dictator and our king. That we don't replace you with American systematic values that don't line up with your word and your way. I pray that we do not bind or loose anything in, on earth or in our nation 
that isn't loosed in heaven because of some political agenda. If it's not in heaven, it's not in earth. So, Father, we line up with that. We ask you to do it in our lives. And we pray that this, this law of usage, that we would understand it and that we would use it and that you would begin to multiply your glory in our lives. I thank you for that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.